From WNYC in New York, it's America, Are We Ready? A Thursday night national call-in show for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. This is day 44. And this afternoon, the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee approved one of Biden's most controversial and most historic nominees, Congresswoman Deb Holland, to become the Interior Secretary. Controversial because of her anti-fossil fuels beliefs in a job that oversees federal lands where oil and gas drilling take place. Historic because if confirmed by the full Senate, she will become the first Native American cabinet secretary in U.S. history, and the Interior Department also oversees tribal lands. America, are we ready for a new federal relationship with the people who lived here first and the lands they still live on? Special guests and your calls after the news. WNYC Radio, with studios located on Muncie-Lenape Territory, also known as Lower Manhattan in New York City. It's America, Are We Ready? A Thursday night national call-in show for the first hundred days of the Biden presidency. This is day 44. And the music behind me is from the new album called I Pray for My Enemies. It's by the U.S. Poet Laureate, Joy Harjo, who happens to be Native American, a member of the Muscogee Nation. We'll talk to her in just a minute as the first guest on tonight's show. Then later we'll cover the news today that Congresswoman Deb Holland of New Mexico is pretty much assured now of becoming the first Native American cabinet secretary in U.S. history as her nomination to be Interior Secretary got out of committee and with two Republican votes this afternoon. We'll take your calls later, too, on President Biden's promise to change the federal relationship with Native tribes. But hold off on the calls for now. We'll give out the number in a few minutes. After we spend a few minutes with U.S. Poet Laureate Joy Harjo, the first Native American to serve in that position, she was appointed to it in 2019. Joy, it is always a joy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us on America. Are we ready? Yes, thank you so much for having me on again. It's uh, nice to be here. And just to talk about the track that we were listening to, I read that you didn't start learning the saxophone until you were around 40. Is that right? And what inspired you to take it up relatively late in life to start learning an instrument? Yes, most people don't do that. And and I always loved the sound of the saxophone. And when I was in junior high, I wanted to play sax and the band teacher wouldn't let girls play sax. So I walked away from music. So I picked it up again. It sounds I like the sound of the voice. And I've always loved jazz as well as many other kinds of music. And we'll sample from a part of that song that has your lyrics coming up later in the segment. But can you talk about the title of both the track and the album, which sounds like something Joe Biden might say, actually, I pray for my enemies. <laughs> yes, I could be pretty loaded. Uh, yeah, that's the name of the album, I Pray for My Enemies. And it comes from a poem called This Morning I Pray for My Enemies, about one of those moments when you go out and and you're upset. And the poem goes, you know, the door to the mind should only open from the heart. And it's really about, you know, prayer is, I think of, you know, every moment can be, everything we say or speak, or John Coltrane, the, the saxophone player extraordinaire, was often spoke about how, you know, his music was essentially a prayer. And um, 
so the whole album or the music and, and the poem has to do with, you know, wait a minute, we're all in this together, that you might be standing across from me, but we're all standing here. We're all here on earth. We're standing all together in a circle, literally in a circle, the circle of or a globe called the earth. And in your track by track notes for the album, you write, ultimately, we are one person, which is what COVID taught us or is teaching us. What do you mean one person in that context of COVID? It's, I don't know if you remember, but when that image of NASA was released, NASA released of the Earth as a being, a beautiful blue and green being uh, that looked like it was breathing, there, there it is. I mean, there's the larger context. You look and it's one person and we're all you know, we all have a part. We all have a part of the story in this place. And you cannot, from that context, from that worldview, um, we are one person. And you're right. Our differences give life, add story. We and all our diversity are one. And it's very American in a certain way, very e pluribus unum, you know, to see diversity as unifying rather than dividing. People so often see it as divisive these days. Can you elaborate on that line from your notes? Okay. Yes. I mean, ultimately, it is, you know, let's see. Ask me that. Ask me that again. I was trying to find another way into it. Well, just um, the idea of the the beautiful line that you wrote uh, of we in all our diversity are one. So the diversity, how how the diversity unites people. Yes, because, I mean, think about it. I remember once when I was about, you know, in sixth grade and I decided I had a whole box of crayons in different colors. And I thought, this is so cool. I'm going to melt them all together and see what color, you know, it makes. And I melted them down and watched as they melted and they turned into a big clump of gray. But individually... They all had, they, they were all different colors. And then when, you know, I, I kept going and learned color theory and there's oppositions. There's, there's color, you know, there's, comp, there's people that complement us. There's other people that are oppositional. And often it's those moments and those people who are oppositional who have the most to teach us. Huh. Now, people who don't know you can already tell from this conversation, I think, that you're very spiritual person and in touch with nature and some of the other song titles on the album are calling the spirit back why is beauty one day there will be horses and how love blows through the trees and i'm curious are you also political in a way that will would allow you to say what your hopes and dreams are for a presidency that wants to be responsive to native american concerns or or can't a poet laureate do that well, I think uh, I had many great teachers and mentors coming up as a poet and a musician, and every one of them, in some way or the other, made the statement that there's no separation between the personal and the political. You know, somebody who was it that says, you know, you can't play it, you, it won't come out of your horn. Is that Miles Davis? Uh, it won't come out of your horn unless you've lived it. And, of course, you know, we're living, everything is political, 
you know, er, you know, every field <laughs> has terrible in politics. So yes, I mean, there's, I think what I've learned is that one, the stories in a way are, the stories don't change that much. The details might change through the years, but you know, it's often the same kinds of themes that keep coming up over and over. And, you know, it, it sometimes it gets despairing, like watching all of this come down this summer, the divisiveness and, and, and the racial hatred when, you know, in my generation, you know, I guess we thought we had at least made inroads. And then we watch, here we are again, watching kind of the same issues, the same issues playing out you know, in the story field, in the contemporary American story field, over and over again. And yet, 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 there are still, there's changes made, there's little moments, there's little moments of miracles where people connect or, and, and people open. Joy, you might have heard that I opened with what's known as an indigenous land acknowledgement, saying that our studios are located in Muncie Lenape Territory, also known as Lower Manhattan. And that's happening more frequently these days in some media, like uh, the public radio show On Being does that, and elsewhere in the arts. Do you find the land acknowledgements meaningful? They can be. They can be. I had to do an opening for an event yesterday, and I did probably about half of it talking about really what a land acknowledgement is. It's it's a moment of respect saying, this is where we are. We're all here together. Like right now, we're here together. I'm in the Muscogee Creek Nation in Tulsa. You're there in the Lenape area and there's listeners all over. But here we are in this moment. And so let's just take a moment to remember to respectfully that we are on on these incredible lands that give us, they give us everything. And, and that part of the story, the original keepers of these lands are indigenous peoples. And, you know, we're, we're still here. We still are charged with keeping, with keeping these lands, with making sure that there's balance on these lands. And, and that's, that's how I see a land acknowledgement to acknowledge that because in, in the, the the pr- predominant story of America and the predominant contemporary culture of America, you'd never see natives. We we are not visible, and we might be standing right next to you, or eating lunch next to you, and and we're not visible. I, as a guitar player, Larry Mitchell, I played with off and on for years, and he grew up in Bed Stuy, and he said, yeah, when he was going to school, they they said in his classroom that Indian there were the Indians had all been killed. That there were none. There were no natives anymore. And so he didn't know. And so I guess that's one of the things that you bring to the country by being the first Native American poet laureate. Yeah. Yes, it is. I mean, it certainly it opened that door of awareness. And and you know, as to say, wait a minute, what? there there are natives here, and there's native poets or. May, and it looks like we're we're going to have the first um, uh, Secretary of Interior as a Native woman. I mean, how amazing is that? We're going to be talking a lot about Deb Holland with our next guest and our callers coming up in just a minute. What would that mean to you, briefly? Well, it's 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 quite um, 
it, it's quite amazing. And I, I, I've known Deb for some time. Uh, she was my poetry student. <laughs> Most people don't know that. Oh, wow. Yes, when I was uh, teaching at one point, as every once in a while I'll, I'll take a teaching gig and then I let them go, let let it go because I'm too busy with my wor- other work. <laughs> but uh, she was, uh, she came in. I remember she came into my uh, office carrying a motorcycle helmet and uh, asked to be, you know, let into my my creative writing class, creative writing poetry. And I had room. I said sure. And she's a she was a real she was a very good student. And uh, even worked with for me briefly, you know, as an assistant. And, and I came to, uh, you know, and she always had the, what she had in mind. And here she was with. Ten seconds. Uh, okay. Is that, um, yeah, she was always concerned about conservation, about people, about um, the uh, and, and preservation. We will, have to t- we will definitely talk about all of those coming right up and listeners after the break. We'll talk about the nomination of Deb Holland being approved by a Senate committee today and what it might mean for the environment, public lands, jobs in the fossil fuel industries, and Native American quality of life if she does become fully confirmed. And as we say goodbye to U.S. Poet Laureate Joy Harjo, Joy, thank you so much. We'll Well, go out with, with a little bit of that title track from her new album, I Pray for My Enemies. From WNYC in New York, this is America Are We Ready, a Thursday night national call-in show for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency here on Day 44. I'm Brian Lehrer, and tonight it's America Are We Ready for a new relationship between the United States government and the people who lived here first and the lands they still live on. With today's vote in the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, we are headed toward having our first ever Native American Cabinet Secretary, Deb Holland. She is currently a member of Congress and a Native American first in that position, too. Two Native American women were elected as the first Native Americans ever in Congress in 2018. She's from New Mexico. And this is part of what Biden promises will be a long overdue corrective. Federal government has long broken promises to Native American tribes who've been on this land since time immemorial. With her appointment, Congresswoman Hallen will help me strengthen the nation-to-nation relationship. So listeners, now we'll open up the phones on a few questions related to the Deb Holland nomination. If you are from any Native American tribe or nation, you'll get first priority for the rest of this hour, what would it take for President Biden to keep that promise of strengthening what he called there the nation-to-nation relationship? And what do you want from the Biden administration to improve Native American quality of life? Our number is 844-745-TALK. That's 844-745-8255. Again, if you are from any Native American tribe or nation, you will get first priority this hour. What do you want from the Biden presidency 
to improve Native American quality of life and strengthen the nation-to-nation relationship. Our number is 844-745-TALK. We'll also get into questions of fossil fuel drilling, something that currently employs a lot of people, including on Native lands, and that President Biden has put a moratorium on, at least for new drilling leases on purely federal lands. Deb Holland's nomination was controversial in part because she supports that moratorium. So, listeners, you can call on that, too, from any side of that issue at 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. And with me now, as your calls are coming in, is Julian Brave Noisecat, Vice President of Policy and Strategy with the progressive think tank Data for Progress. He's the Narrative Change Director of the Natural History Museum, an artist and activist collective, uh, that is, and a fellow at the Type Media Center, NDN Collective, and the Center for Humans and Nature. He also wrote a Washington Post op-ed last month called Why Senate Republicans Fear Deb Holland. Julian, nice to talk to you again. Welcome to America. Are we ready? Hey, thanks so much for having me, Brian. Excited for it. And I see that when I search for you on Twitter, Julian, the first thing that comes up is hashtag Deb for Interior. So this nomination matters to you. Tell us why. Um, You know, I think to understand why this nomination is so important for me, for Native people across the country, and also I think for our nation's history, you have to really understand what the Interior Department um, is and what it has done historically to Native people. So the third Interior Secretary, a guy named Alexander Stewart, once described his mission and the United States mission as, quote, to civilize or exterminate Native people. And, you know, in many ways, the Interior Department was core to that mission throughout the United States history, whether we're talking about the Dawes Act in the late 1800s, which took Uh, millions of acres of land from Native nations, uh, the boarding schools that took Native children away to assimilate them and often to quite literally beat their language and culture out of them, Uh, or the termination era in the mid-1900s when the United States stated policy towards Native nations was literally termination, was to um, legally revoke uh, our sovereign status. And against that history, you know, Deb Holland... um, is obviously the first Native American uh, to be nominated to be the Interior Secretary. She's actually even the first Native American to ever be chosen for a presidential cabinet. And when she showed up for uh, her Senate confirmation hearing uh, last week, last Tuesday, uh, she introduced herself in her family's language, the Karis language, it's a Pueblo language, uh, and also acknowledged that the hearing was taking place on the homelands of the Piscataway people here in what is now Washington, D.C. And I think that, you know, just those that deep and painful history juxtaposed with that pride uh, in the fact that, you know, Stewart and the countless other bureaucrats and government officials who tried to carry out that mission of, of indigenous annihilation failed. I think is just a very powerful statement of of what this nomination means and what Deb Holland means to Native people and also, I think, to the United States as a whole. I have a few clips from Congresswoman Holland's confirmation hearing. You wrote about some of these in your Washington Post op-ed. Here's 16 seconds of Holland responding to a question from Republican Senator Jim Risch of Idaho 
about why she supports President Biden's suspension of the Keystone XL pipeline from Canada. One of the reasons why is that I, I support President Biden. I think he's thought deeply about these things, and I think that he cares deeply about our environment, and, um, and I do as well. So that's one. And here's Congresswoman Holland responding to a question on why she supports the president's moratorium on new oil and gas drilling leases on federal lands. Senator, it's my understanding that uh, there is only a pause on the new leases for um, the new gas and oil leases. Uh, Currently, the existing valid leases are moving forward. Permitting is moving forward. I understand that. I know that the department currently is moving those permits forward. Uh, I don't know all the particulars of every permit that's been signed, but I know that uh, President Biden isn't looking to shut everything down. The existing permits and leases will continue. Yeah, but no new ones. There is a pause on the new ones. And Julian, I'm going to get your take on those clips in a minute, but I want to go to our first caller first. And it is Sonny in Deb Holland State, New Mexico. Hi, Sunny. You're on America. Are we ready? Good evening, Yate, to all of you who are listening. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to know that the um, Department of Interior is going to be represented and managed and, you know, uh, organized from the perspective of a Native American, and specifically a woman. Many Native nations across um, North and Southern Hemisphere were matrilineal uh, since time immemorial. And I think this is a perfect opportunity um, to finally hear the Native voice because we have been here for forever, but we're always left out of the vital conversations regarding um, equity and equality and all of those kinds of things. And I did meet um, Congresswoman Holland before she was political. Um, She's a genuine, absolutely genuinely beautiful individual that is spiritually grounded and um, culturally intact. And um, that's the kind of person that it's going to take for all of the United States to understand that we have got to reconfigure our thought processes regarding earth, land, water, air, all of the elements that give us life and breath. Sunny, do you want to say anything about your particular background and what you think uh, a positive set of federal policies could bring to the people who you descend from? Um, Well, I am a member of the Diné Navajo Nation in the Four Corners region of the United States. And we have been devastated by the pandemic and COVID. And we are doing our best um, to survive. Uh, 135 members of our nation, 135,000 members of our nation have been vaccinated. So I'm really, really glad about that. There's no real apprehension about being vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And 
that's going to give us the opportunity to survive because I think that it has, um, you know, the virus all over has exposed every yuck that exists in the systems that are functioning or not functioning. And so I think Ms. Holland's voice um, in this particular administration is only positive in every regard. Thank you so much for your call. I really, really appreciate it. Listeners, 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. First priority on the phones, but not only priority, but first priority to anyone else who's from a Native American background and wants to talk about what a new federal relationship, nation to nation, as President Biden put it, could be if he keeps his promises. 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255, as we continue with Julian Rave Noisecat from Data for Progress. But let's go to another caller, Damani in Brooklyn. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Damani. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. I love your show. Um, I called in because I have both Cherokee and Blackfoot uh, uh, native blood in my family. And for as a child for a long time, I would always make it a point to say that I had that Native American heritage because there were so few of us. And there we were, you know, the, the, we weren't really talked about. Our, our heritage wasn't studied or taught. Um, and so I thought that it was really important to let people know that we're still here. Um, I called in because I think that this is an incredible opportunity um, that Biden has put forth um, for Ms. Howard. And I really believe that um, her being in this position not only you know, represents the sensibilities of, of Mother Earth, how how the first people see the planet um, and our surroundings and how we are nurturing and have been the caregivers of this great land um, for hundreds and hundreds of years before, you know, anyone ever landed on Plymouth Rock, so to speak. Um, and the fact that we have, you know, been so marginalized um, here with this great platform uh, with a wonderful person at the helm uh, to really take care of the interior um, is just, I just think it couldn't be, it couldn't have been a better time. Obviously, the sooner the, sooner the better, um, but I think that if Biden can show his support and steadfast behind the decisions that she makes, um, that that will show a real commitment to the rekindling of the federal relationship and the indigenous people of America. Thank you so much. Damani, thank you so much for your call. And Julian Brave Noisecat, you want to reflect on those callers we just heard? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it was really wonderful to hear um, Sunny speak her Navajo language. I'll give it my best shot and I'll say yate and ahiahat for, for what you said, Sunny. Um, I'm obviously not Diné, but uh, I've picked up a few words here and there in my reporting and travels and have some... Um, 
relatives in the Indian way, not in the, the blood relation, but in, in people who I consider family from the Navajo Nation. And um, it's really great to hear those words. It was also really great to hear from Damani in, in, in Brooklyn and, um, you know, just the I think that you can hear when when people, especially Native people, talk about this nomination, just how much it it means to people, just in the sound of their voice, right? Um, it's taken over two hundred and thirty years, uh, almost two hundred and thirty years, for us to get to this point where uh, a Native person would be in the executive in the country that was that was built on the lands that were taken from us, and. Um, Obviously, that's that's far too long. Um, but also, you know, I think that that we have so much hope in Secretary Designate Holland. Um, you know, in the poise that she carried herself in those hearings, uh, and in her commitment. You know, in in the fact that she you know went to the camps in the path of the Dakota Access Pipeline in 2016 and cooked green chili stew and tortillas for water protectors. I think that. You know, both in her words and her actions throughout her life, she's really shown that, um, you know, her commitment to our to our people and to representing us well. And I think the fact that, you know, she's she's so visible um, is also going to mean that she's going to be able to to show real leadership at Interior. You know, what she does is going to matter because she's the, the first Native person in the cabinet. And I think that that gives me um, a great deal of hope that she's going to be able to stick her neck out every once in a while and, and, you know, do things that need to be done. We played those clips of Congresswoman Holland supporting the Keystone XL pipeline cancellation by President Biden and his moratorium on new oil and gas drilling leases on federal lands. Julian, do you see these as important climate issues, Native American issues, or both? Certainly both. Um, you know, the obviously the, the Keystone XL pipeline um, poses a, a threat to the climate in that it would lock us into a future of emissions. When we build new infrastructure for fossil fuels, uh, that means that those energy sources are going to be used far into the future because they're sunk costs, they're sunk investments. Uh, to those corporations. And, you know, the fact that that pipeline is not going to be built, um, you know, moves us just a little bit closer to a transition to, to clean energy. And I think that that, at the end of the day, is, is a good thing. Um, you know, I think that we do need to reckon with the fact that there are lots of uh, workers who played a really central role in building uh, this country uh, and building it on fossil fuels, and we need to certainly make make sure that we take care of them, um, and make sure that they can get good, uh, often unionized jobs um, in the in the sort of energy system of tomorrow. And I think that that's a totally important thing. Um, and then, of course, I think the part about this that that is also really exciting to me is that uh, you know in our various social movements, whether it be the the No Dapple movement, the No Keystone Excel movement. Uh, before those, the Idle No More movement, which predominantly arose in Canada in the early 2010s, uh, Native people have been leading the, the charge for environmental and climate justice. Um, and I think that those movements are now, um, you know, reaching some of the highest echelons of governance in this country. And um, what is very exciting to me is, is, is a new era that could be emerging here where Native rights and, and sovereignty and governance um, are seen as not just benefiting Native people, but as benefiting all people through, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, general goods and and uh, universal goods like like environmental um, protection. Listeners will continue in a minute on America. Are we ready? We'll take more of your phone calls. Anyone with an interest in the nomination of Deb Holland to be Interior Secretary or the land issues we've just been talking about or anyone with a Native American background of any kind on what new relationship you hope President Biden brings to your nation or tribe, 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255, as America Are We Ready continues. From WNYC in New York, this is America Are We Ready, a Thursday night national call-in show for the first 100 days of the Biden presidency. Here on Day 44, I'm Brian Lehrer. Tonight, it's America Are We Ready for a new relationship between the United States government and the people who lived here first and the land they still live on. Our phones remain open with first priority this hour for anyone who is a member of a Native American tribe or nation or anyone with an interest in the nomination of Deb Holland to be Interior Secretary, or the land use use issues we've been talking about that she uh, will oversee, 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255. And here is Deb Holland at her confirmation hearing saying why she wants to be Interior Secretary. One of my dear friends in Iambito Navajo Nation, Albert Shirley, he listens to this hearing on the radio, a radio I bought him that's powered by the sun because he doesn't have electricity. And um, he texted me this morning and said, the name, uh, the Navajo Code Talkers, the first word they decided to use when they were um, working on the code was Nihima and that means our mother, and that was the code they used for the United States of America. And I feel very strongly that that sums up um, what, we're, what we're dealing with. This is, this is all of our country. This is our mother. You've heard the earth refer to Mother Earth. It's difficult to not feel um, obligated to protect this land uh, and I feel that every indigenous person in this country um, understands that, which is why we have such a high rate of, of our people who serve in the military. We want to protect this country. Deb Holland from her confirmation hearing. The Energy and Natural Resources Committee approved her nomination today. And still with us, Julian Brave Noisecat, Vice President of Policy and Strategy with the Progressive Think Tank, Data for Progress, and Narrative Change Director of the Natural History Museum, and author of a Washington Post op-ed last month called Why Senate Republicans Fear, Deb Holland. And let's go back to the phones. Gina in Northfield, Minnesota. You're on America. Are we ready? Hi, Gina. Hi, Brian. How are you? Um, thank you so much for this. I'm going to just, um, I'm a non-Native person, so I'm only going to speak to the question, which was, uh, what is it that we would like to see the Biden administration do, mm-hmm. uh, with, especially with Deb Holland's appointment? And I think that the issue that we are concerned with in our state of Minnesota is the Line 3. It's the replacement and expansion of that line that will be moving tar sands out of Canada across Native American uh, treaty lands uh, to uh, uh, one of the Great Lakes. 
it is um, very deeply concerning because of the transit and the desecration of land and also the potential for environmental damage. Uh, Enbridge is a company out of uh, Canada, not an American uh, corporation, and I have been a legal observer uh, during the protests against Line 3 and have observed the scorched earth sacrilege of the land that uh, was once forested and rivered, and all I can say is we hope that the uh, Biden administration will address this issue. Gina, thank you very much for weighing in on that. Marion in New York City via Washington State, says Marion. Hi, you're on America. Are we ready? Hi. Um, uh, I am my uh, husband, who is a professional essential worker and at work, um, is Clinkett Haida. And I'm sure your guest knows his great aunt is Elizabeth Paradovich, and you know who Elizabeth Paradovich Paradovich is correct. Actually, Sir? I'm not not familiar. Oh well, um, and this is uh, speaks to the point of this discussion. Elizabeth Paradovich was honored by the United States government this year by having the United States Mint uh, strike the latest silver dollar in her honor. Um, Sacagawea is on the reverse um, for her leadership in attaining the very first anti-discrimination law in the history of the United uh, States in 1945, uh, several years before Brown v. Board. Uh, so I would like all your listeners to be aware of the lack of knowledge of that. Um, I have uh, a number of objections um, to with regard to federal government Indian affairs with Deb Holland's uh, nomination. Um, but the first and most important thing is the very carefully crafted statement by Joe Biden, um, which you played, Brian, at the very beginning, mm -hmm. which was that he said um, native, the native peoples have been on this land since time immemorial. That is very carefully crafted rather than saying native peoples have were own this land. Um, Native peoples were not on this land. That has been a constant theme of the federal government uh, since the federal government expropriated lands from Native people. With regard to Deb Holland, um, Deb Holland, to my knowledge, did not grow up on a reservation. She grew up on a series of um, uh, military bases. Um, and as Morgan Freeman would say about Barack Obama, Barack Obama is a mixed race person, um, and uh, as is Deb Holland. And we unfortunately still have a one drop rule um, in the United States, something that Joe Biden has prided himself on um, in the rest of his cabinet appointment is that he has chosen career professionals for their expertise in their field um, and their career service in the federal government, uh, in their selection for their cabinet appointments as secretaries. The big problem with the federal government and its history with Native people in the corruption in every aspect, 
BIA, Bureau of Land Management, Interior, is politics. And Amen. what did he do? He picked a politician. Marion, I'm going to leave it there, and I'm going to give Julian Brave Noisecat a chance to comment on any of that. I think she's a little skeptical of uh, Congresswoman Holland for being a politician uh, in this admittedly political position of U.S. Inter Interior Secretary that she's headed to. Um, but uh, I think um, Marion wanted something else. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's reasonable for people to be skeptical of politicians, given the state of our politics. Um, you know, I think that there's a couple of things here. Firstly, um, I think that the truth of the matter is, is that part of the reason why uh, Congresswoman Holland is now Secretary Designate Holland is that she is, in fact, a very effective politician. Um, you know, at the same time as she's a member of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, who has gotten support of uh, very left groups like the Sunrise Movement and the Justice Democrats, you know, she's also um, liked by members of the Congressional Republican uh, Caucus. Uh, you know, Don Young from Alaska, no liberal, uh, introduced her at the Senate Energy and Natural Resource uh, Committee hearing last week. And, you know, I think that that's in large part a testament to how effective um, Congresswoman Holland is at politics. And I think that it's reasonable to be um, skeptical of politics, but I think it's also in this instance, you know, uh, just a fact that, that, that the Congresswoman would not um, be breaking this barrier for our people if it were not for, you know, her savviness and, and skills as a legislator, as a politician, as a policymaker, all of those things. Um, and of course, you know, uh, people wanted to fight for her. She was not the, the first and obvious pick for someone like Biden, who probably would have been more comfortable going with, you know, someone from his inner circle for this role. And for all those reasons, I think that um, I view her, her, her political skill set as an asset. Um, you know, I think that it's also reasonable to, to, to reckon with the, the history of the Interior Department, um, which, as I you know, mentioned at the beginning of this program, uh, has not exactly had a, uh, a great and friendly relationship to Native people and Native nations. And to ask, you know, what the constraints are of, of the political systems and, and uh, government institutions that, that uh, you know, Holland is stepping into and leading. Um, but at the end of the day, I am hopeful that, you know, having someone with her values, with her set of experiences, you know, she, um, she may have grown up as a military brat, but, you know, she... Uh, went to Mesita on the Laguna Pueblo to visit her grandmother a lot when she was a child. She, uh, they had no running water or electricity at Mesita. She, um, you know, has tended to traditional uh, corn gardens. Uh, she, you know, cooks for Pueblo feast days. Uh, she has memories from her childhood of going to various traditional dances that she's shared with me. Um, and, you know, in, in many ways, uh, I think that that experience, you know, maybe perhaps not growing up on, reservation but certainly having deep deep familial ties to it is um is common to many native people you know 70 percent of native people actually live in cities um and i think that that's very representative of uh, you know her her experience i i personally see it as very representative of of our our experience as it exists today let's take another caller here's a listener calling as old mr al from atlanta Hello, old Mr. Al. You're on America. Are we ready? How are you doing? Pretty well, I Great. hope. And I yourself. 
Yes, I'm doing very well, and I'm really enjoying your show. I tried to call before, and I thought it was probably pre-recorded, but I'm such enjoying this tonight. I'm in one of the houses that we're renovating in Southwest Atlanta, mm -hmm. and I'm just, my heart is just, I'm like, let me try, baby. And sure enough, I got through. It's live. I'm glad and you I wanted got through to this say, Go ahead. They call me us and African Americans here in Atlanta, but really, our Native Americans that were here 16 to 24,000 years before so-called Columbus came and discovering something is like me coming to your house and discovering your house that you've had for years and then shoot <laughs> you in the head and say, get Thanksgiving. And, and this, tonight's show shows me that we're in a time now where the aboriginals that have been in North America and South America for thousands of years, it is their time. We're in the time of Aquarius. I am 67 years old, older than the trees and older than the dirt. And I've learned so much in the last 50 years. And we owe so much to the humble original people that were here. And when Columbus came, you had beautiful crops everywhere and animals growing everywhere fertile land everywhere and clean water from the rain everywhere. And within 400 years, those that call themselves civilized have the water is polluted. The air is polluted. The food and the soil is polluted. So it shows that God's Israel that came here 16 to 24,000 years ago during the ice age, during the barren strait, were the original people that God sent here in this new Jerusalem. And the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And what I like tonight, this old man's heart, who have kids and grandkids, and I'm teaching them, we owe a lot to those that were here in so-called North America before Columbus came and thought he discovered something that was already civilized. They were called the Creeks the Seminoles, the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, the Memphis, the Alabama, and I can go on and on. These were civilized people that were hooked up not only to the land, but hooked up to the most high creator. And they came here because, yes, this is the new Jerusalem, and nothing shall destroy it. And, and I'm you know so what? glad to hear shows like this. We had the it's U.S. Just, Poet Laureate at the beginning of the hour. And now I can say we have had the poet laureate of this segment of the show, <laughs> old Mr. Al from Southwest Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you so much for calling in. That was wonderful. We got to get Mr. I Al on the show. That was, that was awesome. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Julian, your Washington Post op-ed was called Why Republicans Fear Deb Holland. And yet she did get two Republican votes in the committee today that approved her nomination and sent it to the full Senate, Susan Collins from Maine and Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, whose state, of course, has a lot of oil drilling. Why do you think? Well, you know, Senator Murkowski's state uh, certainly has a lot of oil drilling and it, and it puts, um, well, when there's not a pandemic recession, it puts a decent amount of money in every Alaskan's pocket every year through a dividend that they have that's funded from oil and gas revenues. Uh, but it also is the state with the most native voters um, as a portion of its population of any other state. And actually, there's a very interesting political history here um, where Senator Murkowski, um, 
actually lost her primary in 2010 to a right-wing challenger, a guy named Joe Miller, Tea Party candidate, and then ran uh, a successful write-in campaign. She's actually one of only two U.S. senators to ever win a write-in campaign, the other one being Strom Thurmond, of all people. Uh, and she won that campaign uh, with a significant turnout and support from Alaska Natives. Uh, and so Murkowski actually, you know, was kind of squeezed between a major industry of her state and a major base of her political support in her state. And so I think it was very interesting to see her um, support Congresswoman Holland's nomination. I actually wrote a story about this for Politico magazine um, about a week and a half ago. Uh, and then Collins, uh, you know, does not have as significant a native presence in the state of Maine, but she does have a significant um there are there are not, not insignificant amount of uh, native people uh, in in Maine, and I know that they were reaching out to her and uh, asking her to support um, Congresswoman Holland's historic nomination. So, um, you know, although native people often aren't seen, particularly in in politics, most people don't ever think about native voters. Um, you know, native people actually can be significant political players, and I think that that was uh, a big part of the story of why. Uh, Deb Holland uh, has gotten uh, Republican support, despite the fact that she's uh, a progressive. And in our last 45 seconds or so, why did you call your article, Why Republicans Fear Deb Holland? Oh, um, well, the, the secret is I don't usually choose the headlines. Oh, yeah, uh, but that's the, it. The Every writer's secret. Is it their, their ties yeah. <laughs> to the oil and gas industry and how much some of the senators on the committee are funded by them? I think that that's a big part of it. And then the other part of it is that I think there's a deep-seated fear in the conservative psychology of the indigenous and dispossessed finally getting our power. Um, one, of the, one of the sort of subtexts that I heard in a lot of the Republican statements about Holland was that somehow the first Native American cabinet secretary was going to take away their way of life and their economic uh, mm. systems and, and, you know, all of that, which obviously is a very ironic statement coming and from. And Julian, we got to go. Thank you so much for coming on with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Really appreciate it. And that's it for this week's edition of America Are We Ready? Our Thursday night national call-in for the first hundred days of the Biden presidency. We thank tonight's guests one more time, Julian Brave Noisecat and Joy Harjo. Next Thursday, it'll be day 51, and we'll do a first 100 days halftime scorecard. And if you're interested, you can listen to my national politics podcast called Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. Or I'll see you here back, uh, see you back here next Thursday night for America. Are we ready? <laughs>